Go. Preach the gospel to all creation. Make disciples of all the nations. The message is clear. The exhortations are compelling. And every year during the month of December, as we have our Missions Month and Missions Week, we remember this clear and compelling message to go, to preach, and to make disciples of all the nations. This year, our theme is Becoming an Acts 1-8 Family. And just to be clear, what does Acts 1-8 declare? We've been singing about it. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So where were the disciples to be witnesses? Well, starting right where they were, where they received this command, in Jerusalem. And then into the surrounding province, the local area of Judea. And then to an unreached people group nearby, geographically, but a different people, the Samaritans. And then, of course, eventually to the ends of the earth. And I'm sure you see the progression, right? Jerusalem was just the launching place, the launching point. Jesus never intended for his disciples to buy condos and stay there. And to be an Acts 1-8 family means that we have a heart as big as God's. And God has a heart for all peoples, for all the nations. Now last week we looked at reaching our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And the focus was primarily on Envision Atlanta and the amazing opportunities right here on our doorstep and especially nearby in Clarkston. Today, our focus is more on the ends of the earth. And exactly what does this mean? Well, again, just to be clear, Jerusalem is our hometown, our neighborhood, our immediate vicinity of Lilburn, Tucker. Judea would be people like us nearby, Gwinnett County, even Georgia, reaching out into our Judea, people within our own language group and culture. Samaria, for us, would be people that are geographically nearby, but are religiously and spiritually very different and culturally different. And we have, of course, a huge Samaria because the nations have come to us, both right around us in our own neighborhood here and especially in Clarkston, where we've been hearing in these days of the scores of unreached people groups. Some of the most unreached peoples on earth are right in Clarkston. Well, the ends of the earth is our focus today, and that's probably a little bit easier for us to get our heads around because that's, well, a little farther away geographically and one of those places we actually have to go to to get there. And by the ends of the earth, we're referring to those peoples and places that still have no access or very limited access to the gospel. And so for them to hear and to comprehend the gospel... We have to take it to them. We have to go to them. Now, my wife Mary and I had the privilege of serving in Puerto Rico and in Colombia and in Spain, and the joy of serving in Spanish-speaking countries for about 35 years. 
Now, for most of those years, believe it or not, we were actually members of this church. You just didn't see us very often. We were kind of absentee members. But we are very grateful, and we never get tired of thanking people for their faithful support, their prayers, their financial support, their encouragement over the years. So thank you again. And on behalf of the some 700 Alliance International workers who for other reasons and commitments couldn't be here today, I'm sure they would say thank you as well. Now curiously, when we got to Spain, we discovered that the far northwestern tip of the country is actually called Finisterre, which literally means the end of the world or the end of the earth. It's a cape of land that juts out into the Atlantic Ocean, and it's one of the most western tips of land in all of Europe. Actually, for centuries, people literally thought that was the end of the world. There was nothing but water if you went any further. So that's why it was called Finisterre. Ironically, this part of northwestern Spain, like much of the country, is still very unreached and has very few evangelical churches, even today. So what is required if the gospel is to take root in Finisterre and similar places and actually reach the ends of the earth? What is required? Nothing less than God himself. No wonder that God promised to send his Holy Spirit and empower the disciples and us for the task. Most of the unreached peoples today are still unreached for a reason. They're in hard places. They represent hard soil. And if you look at the list that we've been giving you of unreached people groups to pray for around the world, those are unreached peoples for a reason. So to think about what it will take to reach the unreached and to be witnesses for Jesus to the ends of the earth, I'd like to share with you something of a personal story. I was raised on a chicken farm in Pine Mountain Valley, Georgia, 4,040 miles from Finisterre, Spain, and about 100 miles southwest of here. And this morning I want to share with you something of my journey from the chicken farm to the mission field by the grace of God. Have you ever found yourself in a situation or maybe a circumstances where you kind of want to close your eyes and say, how on earth did I end up here? What am I doing here? I actually asked myself that question in Puerto Rico and then in Colombia and then in Spain. Lord, what am I doing here? How did I get here? What can I contribute? What can I do to really make any significant change here? Do I have what it takes? Have you ever felt incompetent? I'm not taking, talking about just taking a math test, but have you ever felt really incompetent, unable to do something? I tell you, learning a new language can make you feel pretty incompetent. And then trying to minister in that language can make you feel very incompetent. It's worse than learning how to use the newest smartphone or electronic gadget, or trying to figure out why this intelligent TV is more intelligent than you are. <laughs> but we can definitely begin to feel incompetent as well when it comes to living the Christian life and following 
the instruction of Jesus. Have you ever felt incompetent trying to share the gospel, trying to encourage someone that was discouraged, maybe ready to give up? It's like, man, what do I have to share with these people? What can I do? If we are going to become an Acts 1-8 family and take the gospel to the ends of the earth, we will not be able to do it in our own strength and abilities. <clears throat> because you see, it's not just that it's not easy, it's impossible without God. It encourages me that even the Apostle Paul talks at times about how he felt incompetent. In fact, I love the way he puts it in his second epistle to the Corinthians, chapter 3. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. Amen. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. There are other translations that use different words. Instead of competent, some use the word sufficient. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves. The New American Standard uses the word adequate. Our adequacy comes from God. And so many times in so many circumstances, we feel incompetent, insufficient, inadequate. And this is certainly true in my life. And as I share with you some of how the Lord has worked in my life in the midst of my inadequacies, I would say really this is not so much a story about Raymond as it is about God at work in Raymond. Because you see, I wouldn't even be here if the grace of God had not been in a special way on the hand and the life of my father who was um, in the infantry in World War II and actually was captured by, captured by the Germans near the end of World War II. By God's grace, he survived. And a few years later, he married my mother, a Georgia girl he had met while stationed at Fort Benning. And thanks to the GI Bill, they bought a small farm and settled down here in Georgia. And then a few years later, Raymond appeared on the scene. Well, along with some brothers and sisters, the, yellow, the yellow arrows will help you figure out which one is Raymond. <laughs> As I said, I was raised on a farm in this little rural community called Pine Mountain Valley near Callaway Gardens, actually, just a couple miles from there. I didn't realize it at the time, but my parents were actually poor because, you see, chicken, far chicken farming in Georgia in the 1950s was not exactly a money-making business. We raised most of the food and vegetables we ate, but actually we had a small um, egg farm with about 3,000 white leghorn laying hens. And we sold the eggs actually as our main source of income. Now when I entered high school, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. When I was graduating high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do, except I had one thing very clear. I did not want to be a chicken farmer. <laughs> And if any of you have ever cleaned out a chicken house in Georgia in August, you will understand exactly why. Now, my parents were God-fearing people. And we went to Sunday school and church every week. And truth be told, I am deeply grateful to God for that heritage of being raised in a Christian home. What a blessing. We actually went to Sunday school and church every Sunday, literally. I think it was kind of exciting because for all of us, and especially the kids, it was the one day of the week we didn't have to gather, clean, and package eggs. 
Now, our chickens didn't know it was Sunday. They kept laying eggs anyway. But we hired Mr. Bertelson, who was a neighbor and a Seventh-day Adventist, and he worked on it. <laughs> he took care of the eggs on Sundays for us. So we were excited to go to Sunday school for a variety of reasons. But in that little country church, I heard the gospel faithfully preached regularly. And at the age of eight, I understood and trusted Christ as my Savior. And I'm also very grateful for parents who knew how to raise a very sick little boy under difficult circumstances because when I was only nine months old, I came down with polio. It was actually a little over a year before the Salk polio vaccine came out. And I became quite sick and for a while was hospitalized, but obviously I survived. And as I said, my parents were poor. They certainly could not afford to send me to one of the best hospitals in the world for treating polio. That's exactly what they did. You see, that hospital, one of the best in the world, was located only 15 miles from our farm in Warm Springs, Georgia. Some of you have probably been there. And this hospital was actually started by President Franklin Roosevelt himself, uh, a victim of polio, and he established what was called the Warm Springs, Roosevelt Warm Springs Foundation. And I was treated there at Warm Springs as an infant, hospitalized a couple of times, and later had surgery there as an 11-year-old. In fact, I went back every six months uh, for outpatient treatment uh, until I was about 16. Now, my, patient, my parents could not pay for all of this top-notch medical care, but they didn't have to. You see, all the children in the United States of America got together and took up offerings for me. Well, not just for me. This was way before GoFundMe was ever invented. It was really through a program called the March of Dimes. Now, some of us are probably old enough to have actually given some nickels and dimes to the March of Dimes. And since polio mainly affected children, school children across the country were encouraged to give their nickels and dimes to help, and thus the March of Dimes as an organization was formed, also founded by President Roosevelt. And I've thought about the sovereignty of God, get back there, too, a number, in a number of ways, the sovereignty of God, especially in those early years of my life. I've thought about how God protected, how he provided a specialized hospital so close to our farm. What a miracle. Financial provision. Sometimes I've wondered what others thought when they saw me lying in the hospital bed or as I was beginning to walk. And I've wondered what the doctors thought especially, and I'm pretty sure whatever they thought, the doctors and nurses were not saying, now, we've got a young boy here who's going to be a pastor and a missionary, so we want to take very good care of him. I'm pretty sure they were not thinking about that. But I know who was. I know who was. And gradually I began to improve and gain strength and my family was also a huge help and little by little I began to walk. But who would have guessed that a little sick boy from a chicken farm in rural Georgia would end up spending most of his life on the mission field? It wasn't on my radar. But by God's grace, Mary and I have had the privilege of serving in actually four different countries on three different continents, more recently about 25 years in Spain.
And again, not because I was the fastest or the smartest or the most intelligent. And certainly not because I was the strongest. I really identify, maybe you do too, with another passage from the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, where he says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God did what? He chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You see, God, at the end of the day, is at work in our lives. And our story is not so much our story as it is his story at work through us by his grace and power. Because really, God does not call the equipped. God equips the called. God doesn't recruit like Google or the University of Georgia football program. He usually doesn't go after the strongest and the smartest. He calls the shepherd boy, the fisherman, the tax collector. My goodness, he even calls the son of a chicken farmer. And as we follow God and obey Him, His grace supernaturally equips us for the task to which He calls us. He equips us with all the wisdom and strength of heaven because God gives us all that we need to do all that He asks. Because when the grace of God and the call of God meet, the Holy Spirit empowers us in such a way that we can really say when the call of God meets the grace of God, the Spirit of God equips us to do the work of God. Amen. And that's how we become witnesses to Jesus to the ends of the earth. God has literally sustained me over the years. I'm sure many of you could share similar testimonies to how His grace has been Sufficient, And the reality is he calls all of us to serve him. And whatever your calling and assignment will be, the same principle applies. He will equip you to do what he asks. He will make you adequate, competent, sufficient for the task. If you follow and obey him, he will give you the gifts and the abilities you need to do what he has called you to do. Amen. And that's how we become witnesses of Jesus to the ends of the earth. Now, obviously, I survived my initial bout with polio, and later the Lord indeed called me into the ministry, specifically to cross-cultural ministry as a missionary. And my wife, Mary, and I, as I mentioned, served in pastoral ministry five years here in Georgia, six years in Puerto Rico, and then in 1988, uh, the Alliance sent us as international workers to Bogota, Colombia, in South America. However, after just a couple of years there in Bogota, I began to experience a growing fatigue with pain in my good leg, among other symptoms. And as I began to see the doctors, I was later diagnosed with what they called the late effects of polio or post-polio syndrome. I was falling down easily. I was having problems walking without tripping or stumbling. And my legs were sore. And it seemed to just be getting worse. The doctors 
said, yep, that's post-polio syndrome. I didn't really offer much of a solution. They said, do this, do that. Try not to overdo it and essentially avoid getting worse, which is never encouraging when you talk to doctors and they say that. <laughs> so there in December of 1992 in Columbia, when I was struggling with these symptoms, we got a phone call that really rocked our boat. It was our regional director for Latin America, and he asked us to pray about a possible redeployment from Colombia to Spain. Now, we were thrilled in Colombia. We were really enjoying our ministry. It's one of those places where God is amazingly and obviously at work. We just assumed that we'd be there for a long time. We'd only been there a few years. And we knew just enough about Spain to not be very excited about going there. So it was during this really challenging time that the Lord kind of hit me between the eyes with a passage of Scripture as I was reading 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where Paul is talking about something of his testimony. And in that passage, as I got to verses 9 and 10, the Lord spoke to me in a very clear way. Now, in verse 9, Paul, talking about himself, says... For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. And then verse 10 is what really struck me. But by the grace of God, the grace of God, Paul said, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So in that very critical a moment with very real health problems, the Lord used this passage of Scripture to, to just minister very personally and very deeply to my soul. It was as if God told me, Raymond, this true was Paul's testimony, but it's going to be your testimony as well. Especially that verse, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. So I latched on to that as a personal text. And over the next 27 years, it has really, and during those years, it has served as an anchor for my soul. See, that day in Bogota, I had a conversation with God, and basically I told him the following, after he spoke to me through this passage, I said, Lord, if you want me to stay on the mission field, and especially serve you in Spain, you're just going to have to give me the strength to do it, because I don't have it. Lord, this post-polio syndrome is not my problem, it's your problem. My problem is following you and obeying you. Yeah. I'll do it, but you have to strengthen me. Amen. It was a, with that peace and conviction that the Lord was calling us to step out in faith that we said yes, and we redeployed to Spain. Six months later in July 1993, there we were. But the truth of the matter is, I was not improving. In fact, for the next four years, I gradually got worse. More difficulty walking. Lots of physical-related issues. And then, after working through those first four years, just one day at a time, 1997, we came back to the States for a year of home assignment. And as we say down south, I was just plain tuckered out. When we got home, I was tired. Really wasn't sure what the Lord had next. But amazingly, as a matter of fact, walking from the gate at the Atlanta airport to our car, I found out about a clinic 
that my doctors knew nothing about. And through an amazing set of circumstances, I went to this private clinic in a little town lost in Mississippi, which my doctors knew nothing about, probably didn't know anything about the town, much less the clinic. I ended up going there for physical therapy three times over the years. The very first time I was there, I overcame my fatigue and recovered much of the strength I'd lost, even though the doctor said that was impossible. So once again, I saw the hand of God not only encouraging me, but touching me and enabling me to do what he had called me to do. And that was over 26 years ago, about 27 years ago. So obviously we were able to return to Spain, continue there for about uh, another 20 years. It was anything but easy. Spiritually speaking, uh, Spain, Western Europe, is dry, rocky, stony soil. Not much response to the gospel. Things go slowly. But gradually, we saw the church begin to grow, and we had the joy of being a part of that. And many of you prayed with us over those years as we prayed together for, remember, the spiritual greening of Spain. By God's grace, we were able to finish the course. And here I am today, uh, standing here not again because I'm the fastest or the strongest or the best looking, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. So I guess you could say that my journey is from the chicken farm to the mission field and home again by the grace of God. Where are you in your spiritual journey today? We're all on a journey. You may also feel insufficient for the task. You may feel inadequate for what God is calling you to do, to which I would say, hey, welcome to the club. That's good news. Remember what Pastor Fred reminded us a couple of weeks ago. Weakness is the way. Weakness is the way. For in our weakness, God is more able to manifest his strength and he gets the greater glory. I'm sure we're reminded of that other passage by the Apostle Paul when regarding his own thorn in the flesh, he wrote, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. It's quite a list. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And as we also heard from Ephesians 2, God is able. God is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think according to what? According to the power at work within us. And this is how we will be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. God can and will give you all that you need to do, all that he asks you to do. Our job is simply to trust him and obey him and move forward one step at a time. Someone has said that the Christian life is a long obedience in the same direction, but it's one step at a time. So are we willing to take the next step, whatever that step might be in your life? It may be that God will not lead you to the ends of the earth, but we all have a part to play in taking the gospel to the nations. 
And the key is saying next to the Lord in that next step, whatever he's challenging you to do. See, it's very easy for us to convince ourselves that we're inadequate. Some of you may be thinking, well, you're too young to really make a difference. Others of you may be thinking, I'm too old to make a difference. Some of you may be thinking, I could never learn another language. I could never minister in another language. I could never live in another culture. I could never, I could never. Enough of excuses. Amen. Enough with excuses. God is able. Yes, he is. God is able. And he wants to work powerfully in and through us. And he will as we give him the opportunity to do just that. Amen. God is able. And I trust that today, as we walk with God, and as we lean on Him, we will be willing to take that next step. When I was growing up, I was very timid. I was actually introverted. I had all kinds of self-image issues. And the fact that I could even be standing here today and to, to talk about what God has done is nothing short of a miracle. And so God wants us to take that next step, whatever it may be, to put our lives in his hands, to be done with our excuses, and to say, Lord, whatever my limitation is, I give it to you. He encouraged me to actually give him my post-polio syndrome. And you know what? God's been plenty big enough to handle it. Yes. What's your hang-up? What's your excuse? What's your limitation? I would encourage you today, I would even challenge you today to give that limitation to God. Give it to God and ask Him to enable you to do whatever He wants you to do. And we take that next step by the grace of God and together with His power and by His grace, we can indeed be His witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. Heavenly Father, we are grateful. We are so grateful, Lord, for how you work in our lives. Yes. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us today the faith to take that next step, whatever it is that you're calling us and asking us to do. Lord, equip us, enable us yes. that we might indeed be your people, be your witnesses, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Amen. Amen. Thanks. Amen. Well, we thank you, Pastor Raymond, for sharing your story. I think it connects in a lot of different ways with us. And I love his, this challenge that's before us, and I want us to lead us in a response time, and the worship team's going to give us some space to respond. There's a variety of responses for us today, but this song, New Wine, that we sang before and we responded to together, really connects right here. You know, the mortar, mortar and pestle...
there's one word that best describes what its function is, and it's crushing. And it, it's usually spices and herbs, and when it's, if, if you take a spice, it may have some smell, but as it's crushed, something, something even better, something more beautiful comes out of it. And it's, as Pastor Raymond put it, what's, what's your excuse? What is it that you need to lay down today? What's, if we talk about new wine, what's the wineskin of the past? And a wineskin of the past could be something that's negative, and we identified some of those, but it could be something that's been positive, that's worked for you. It could be the way that you've connected with God, the way that you've served God. And he's asking, would you lay that down this morning, that you would take that next step? And so as I mentioned before, I'd like to encourage us to, to consider this form as one of the ways to respond. By all means, if you need to come to the altar, you want to kneel at your seat and you, you've got business with God to do about your, your hang-up, your excuse that you need to lay down. But sometimes one of the greatest ways to bring a reversal to that is to take a new step forward. And so we've got listed here ways that you would participate in inviting our neighbors to come to Easter service. Here in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, you get involved in Envision Atlanta or share the gospel door to door in your neighborhood. Um, ends of the earth, which we're talking about more so today, that you would pray for <clears throat> each of the Ask the Nations locations, which is listed in the other form that's in your bulletin, and then praying for your LAC missionaries, which are listed on the back of the form. And what I'd like to ask you to do is actually to See, it tears off nice and easy. I want you to be able to take this home. It's a great thing that you can use to pray for the missionaries by having it with you. And that you would bring this card and you'd bring it up here. Just as you're offering to the Lord. And that could be not just the physical ways that you're going to respond, but the other side is the pledge of what you're going to give is trusting God with what you have, because he provided it anyways. And so, so many ways in which we're called to respond does include sacrifice. We say, make me a vessel, make me an offering, bring new wine out of me. Well, new wine requires crushing, requires sacrifice. And I love what Pastor Raymond, uh, yeah, go ahead and um, shared with us the grace of God, you know, have to help me make sure I get this right. The grace of God, the call of God and the grace of God combined, then the Spirit of God can do the work of God. Did I get it? Let's say it together. The call of God and the grace of God brings about the Spirit of God to do the work of God. All right, we got to do it one more time. It's like vacation Bible school, right? All right, the call of God, the grace of God, brings about the Spirit of God to do the work of God. So God, we 
come before you this morning. And we thank you for your grace. And I hear your voice saying, I'm not finished with you yet. Some of us have seen some amazing things in the past. It feels like, well, maybe that's all that God has for me. There's a new season. At any point along the journey, Pastor Raymond could have thrown in the towel and said, I can't do it anymore. God must be finished because can't keep going. And God, others of us, we just, we struggle with inadequacy, incompetence. How could God use me? And God, we thank you that you don't call those that are competent and adequate, but that you equip those that are called. And we thank you that your grace is a guarantee. Would you give us ears to hear your call now so that your grace, which is guaranteed, and your call, which is so personal to each of us, would be fused together in such a way that the Spirit of God would do the work of God in us and through us. Thank you, Lord. So as we sing, would you respond through your card? Would you respond through whatever it is to sacrifice to the Lord? If you need to come to the altar, the altar is open. Sing your knife finished, yeah.